0: Welcome to this special War of the Worlds episode from NeoZazz.com, part of our 2020 edition of our annual War of the Worlds Week and part of our even bigger Celebration Halloween for the year 2020. I am Matt, and I say this almost every new type of episode that we do for not only War of the Worlds Week, but for Halloween, this episode's going to be a little different. But this time, I really mean it, because I think every other episode... That I've done, that I've said, this is going to be a little different. There's always an element of something I've done in the past before. In this case, it is all new. I have never done a format or a type of show like this before on NewsAs.com. This is going to be kind of an audio book report on one of the many books that I've collected over the years, mainly for research for War of the Worlds Week. And even up into this recording, I'm still not exactly sure everything that I'm going to say. I will start off with talking about why am I even doing a podcast on a book. I mean, it's not unheard of by any means. In fact, we had a series on News as called "Killing My Kindle" from News as member Brian Prisco for the longest time, and that was all book reviews. This is nothing new. It's new for me, and a reason for that is I guess there's a couple reasons we're probably going to go through here as I. Just wing this off the cuff. I am always looking for new additions to our annual War of the Worlds week. I'm not going to say that pickings are getting a little slim, but I need to branch out more than how the episode started. I've done a historic report on the event twice, one to kick off the entire event in 2016, and then one during the 80th anniversary a couple years ago. So I've already kind of repeated formats and ideas and expanded upon them. So I'm always looking for... A new type of thing to bring to this annual event. I've also, as I mentioned not even a minute ago, I, have, <laughs> I am starting to amass a collection of books rego- uh, about War of the Worlds, and a lot of them, if not all of them, stemming from that original broadcast, which is the, the inspiration and in genesis for this annual event. I have, uh, I think the very first one I bought was The Complete War of the Worlds by Brian Holstom and Alex Lubertazzoni. And Right now, I'm looking at my shelf, The Martians Are Coming by Alan Gallup, Broadcast Hysteria by Brad Schwartz, and my latest acquisition, which I haven't even finished reading yet, so I'll probably be pulling something from that next year, War of the Worlds from Wells to Spielberg by Dr. John L. Flynn, and I guess, in a sense, the last one that's in front of me right now, and not at all but least, is the Panic Broadcast. And the entire name is the Panic Broadcast, the whole story of Orson Welles' legendary radio show Invasion from Mars by Howard Koch, who I'm sure you know at this point is the scriptwriter for that radio broadcast. So I figured, I believe, in fact, I know for a fact, that is the oldest book out of all these I have right now. I'm, chances are I'll get some more as time goes by. Whether or not I'm going to find one older, older than 1970, I'm not sure. But this is the oldest book in that collection. And it's also the only one that I have so far written from the perspective of someone that was not only there, but was was largely instrumental. I'm not sure how to say what role he played other than the script writer. Now, the script was altered and changed and enhanced by Orson Welles and John Hausman, but the skeleton, the structure, the base, whatever you want to call it, was written, handwritten, by Howard Koch and then handed off to his secretary for typing. But if it wasn't for his work, there wasn't something to start with. There might not have been this almost timeless radio drama and urban legend that just does not die, no matter how much it's been disproven. And even as a huge fan of the event as I am, I, I certainly understand the truth of what the panic was and, and largely wasn't, but people still remember that event having happened and it has been over 80 years. So why not start this new format, this new addition to war of the world's week with someone that was there when it happened, writing from his perspective. And that is why I'm starting off this new, maybe one time book report format for war of the world's week with the panic broadcast by Howard Koch. Now, as far as this report goes, I am probably inadvertently going to give spoilers. I I'm not going to go through this page by page the way I do the Matt Scrummy comic collection series. I'm not going to tell you every bit of detail in here, but there are some things in here that were worth noting down that I'm going to probably talk about and discuss and what they meant to me, what they made me think about when I, or thought about when I read them. And they may be details you don't know. And if you're planning to pick up this book, if, if you can get it, which we will discuss here in just a bit, might spoil some of that story for you. So I want to lay out that warning before we start. I'm not going to give you everything that's in the book, but inevitably I'm going to say something that is has been revealed in that book that could be considered a spoiler. So let's start off by talking about how the book is laid out. It is a bit of a retrospective. It's a bit of a eyewitness and an account, and it's kind of uh, where we're at now in terms of when this was written, which is, of course, at this point uh, wow, 50 years ago, I just did the math. So it's not a full fledged story. It's it's kind of almost, in a way, a, a couple or a few short stories in one with a big thing in the middle that I'll talk about that kind of breaks up Then and now it's listed or described, I should say, as a mass trade paperback on amazon.com. Now, again, this is a 50 year old book. I'm not quite sure what the designations for used books and where these come from, from old entries, but it is certainly a very short and quick read. It's a, it's a size, it's, it's really no smaller than any other paperback. And that's the thing. It's, it's not any bigger either. So it's a pretty quick read. And that middle part kind of takes a big chunk of the reading out of it. But before we even can talk about what that is, we have to really start at the beginning. And we do have an introduction. And it's a really notable um, guest author that wrote the introduction. It was written by Arthur C. Clarke, the famous science fiction writer. And he talked a lot about the influence of Mars in pop culture, the role Mars played in this story. And most significantly he talked about how the role of Mars could end up being a part of the history of humanity on Earth. And I'm not only mentioning that because of the times we currently live in. I mean, we have Elon Musk and SpaceX with their, or at least his personal priority, number one, to get to Mars and to colonize it. But I also mention it because in this introduction, which again was written 50 years ago, he laid out a theoretical idea of how humans would approach Mars and the like a, a, a real a, a very realistic plan not like everyone get on a space arc and bam we live on Mars. The thing about it is is that it's very much a description of the approach that is currently being taken to get to Mars not only by SpaceX but NASA's plans as well. it's it's actually a little creepy how close. He wrote 50 years ago to what we're aiming towards right now as I'm reading it. it it's, it's, it's actually uncanny, and that was an absolutely fascinating surprise and a very interesting aspect of the way Arthur C. Clarke's mind looked at things that I didn't know about. So right off the bat, this book already has something to hook me in, and he's not even the main writer of this book at all. Now, past that introduction, we get to what I'm going to call the first story because they—I I suppose that's what they are—because they're not even listed as chapters. I'm, I have the book in front of me; poor thing is about to fall apart in a million pieces, but hopefully it holds on for this episode. I have the book in front of me, and the first page it, before each section of the book is a a artist rendering of some sort or photo. Uh, in this case, it's an artist rendering of a tripod attack on a uh, railway. Uh, the actual the rail lines themselves and it says the night the world came to an end almost no chapter no marking of of continuation of story so i'm going to go ahead and call this the first story and this is the account from howard Koch of his involvement in everything in this from the beginning it's a history of how he got involved with the mercury theater on the air it goes into uh, Enough detail, not not too much to bore the reader, enough detail on how he met John Hausman, how he was hired, and the early work he did leading into the War of the World script. One of the details he did share, I am going to talk about, and it was that he was hired at a rate of $75 a week. And whenever I hear numbers like this, especially when we're talking about things that happened many years ago, in this case over 80 year, 82 years ago, I believe now at this point, it, you, all, For me, there's the initial shock of the number going, oh, man, if that was today, we, everyone involved would starve to death. But then you have to think about where the inflation falls into this. And $75 still sounded low, but I had to check. And I looked on the internet, the usinflationcalculator.com, which we've used a lot in some of our other series to figure numbers out. And I checked what the inflation difference was from... First, 1938 to 1970 when he wrote this, and it only went up to $206.38, which is a big jump from $75, but I still can't really relate to exactly what that means. So here's what was surprising. The way he was talking about it, it almost sounded like he was living hand to mouth at $75. If I type in 2020... And I don't know how accurate the math is on this inflation calculator, but we get a total of $1,384 a week, which is pretty substantial for a lot of people. Before taxes, we're talking about almost $72,000 a year. So, again, I do not know what this inflation calculator uses to figure this out, but it kind of puts the... um, Kind of some of the things he's saying, like, okay, it's maybe not as uh, much of a pittance as he's leading on to be. Now, granted, this is the man who went on to write Casablanca and, I believe, win an Oscar for that writing. He also went on to be charged as a communist by the uh, McCarthy Commission, but that's another story. So, he's has probably seen far much more money than $75 a week since then. So, that's maybe... The perspective he's writing from, or again, maybe this inflation calculator, maybe using the year 2020 is screwing up this inflation calculator. That could be a very uh, real thing right now. And you know what? On the fly here, not in my notes. I'm going to see what this said for 2019. Uh, it says only $20 less. Okay. So can. <laughs> I'm not quite sure I have the answer because I don't know how this website works and I don't know how accurate it is. But I will say, since looking that up, I've kind of changed my mind from, man, I can't believe he did this to $75 a week to, okay, well, he got paid for his work. That's that's good. He should. One of the other details in this, and this is not anything I've not talked about before, so even though this might be a spoiler for the book, I don't think it's a spoiler for the history of this. He did write this in six days, which is pretty incredible. Now, granted, this thing was rewritten all the way up until Orson Welles walked into the studio moments before airing, but... Howard Koch did lay out the groundwork for this script, the nuts and bolts, the bones, whatever you want to call it in a very quick turnaround time. Even having given up basically at one point, he, he himself had given up. He was going to turn in a script for Lorna Dune that he had already done. And in his mind, it was all said and done, but then John Houseman turned the tables on him and said, absolutely not. So even having thrown in the towel, he still managed to get back on those legal pads and get a script to build from in six days. I've been working, well, I mean, if you really want to think about it, decades on the idea of doing a War of the Worlds. I've actively been working on a script for four years, and I am still not anywhere near happy with a third act on it at all. I can't imagine being forced to write something that has lasted nearly a century in six days. The more I think about that, and the more I work on my projects, the more it just seems just unbelievable and and almost impossible to do. But as we know, we wouldn't have this special, we wouldn't have this annual week dedicated to the idea of War of the World starting with this broadcast if he didn't. So he did, and it's pretty damn remarkable. This part of the story, or I should say this part of the book, this story goes all the way through to him dropping off his final contribution to Orson Welles and John Houseman, and then calling it a night, sleeping through the broadcast, and then what he had experienced the next morning. That part I'm not going to necessarily reveal in this special. Maybe it's something I'll talk about later in another special, but since this is a report on a book that someone might interested in reading i'm going to leave that part out because that might be the best part of the story and i i think i say that for two reasons one because it's it's, it is a really good part of the story and two it's something i'd never heard because i'd never in these other books that i'm researching and articles i read and video clips i've never seen too much from howard Koch himself until reading through this book and that was really fun to read what he thought was happening the next day because he had no idea even even to the actual extent of what really did happen in the panic and then throw in the newspapers, twisting that and amplifying it a thousand times over. He had no idea any of that was happening till the next morning and what he thought was happening and how he reacted. It's a pretty good part of the story. Now we get to the second section of this book, and this is what makes this book potentially a really qu- quick read, whether or not you actually read this part, because it's titled The Radio Play, and that's what it is. It is a... Transcript or a copy of the script i'm not quite sure how this was typed up of the radio play of that 1938 broadcast the war of the worlds by orson wells in the mercury theater on the air And it is a good portion of the book i'm looking at it right now And i'd say it's a good quarter of the book I obviously Did not read this because at this point I can almost recite it maybe not word for word But give me another five ten years and I probably can So I jumped over And I can even tell you the page numbers. I went from page 31 and jumped all the way to page 83. So what is that? It is almost, that is over 50 pages. So 50 pages of this this book is a reprinting of the script. So if you already know the story well enough and the radio play, you very likely are going to skip this part. And you're going to skip a large portion of the book. And also very likely not going to go back to read it necessarily, maybe I have seen this script, I don't know how many different ways. In fact, it's in at least one, if not two of the other books I mentioned. I think The Complete War of the Worlds, and I believe The Martians are coming. I think both of those have the script in it as well. I could be wrong. I know at least two of the books I listed earlier has the script in it. In fact, not only is a script uh, possibly in The Complete War of the Worlds, but they also came with a CD of the, the radio play as well, which I just pile on to my literal hundreds of other digital copies of not only the Orson Welles one, but the remakes as well. So that's a large portion of the book that now that's easy to say in the two thousands that I'm probably not going to read it because if I even want to hear it, all I got to do is go to literally, I was going to say archive.org. I can go to YouTube. I could go to, I could go to news com and listen to the original play, but this is 1970. People probably hadn't heard this in its entirety for Almost, well, 32 years. So it makes a lot of sense to put it in there because people probably have forgotten many of the details. They might remember the story. They might remember it happening, but they probably don't remember like the the specific breaks in the, what was supposed to be a music broadcast originally. They probably don't remember cutting or exactly. I should say cutting to the field where the Martian cylinder landed and how the attack unfolded so even though I'm kind of downplaying or even saying that it's a, a large chunk of the book that's wasted on this particular read, I got to remember that this was published in 1970 and it was actually probably crucial to the story Howard Koch is trying to tell in this because from there we do kind of move on to what is, to what is actually specifically titled The Aftermath. This story in this book starts off with Orson Mills facing the media, which I think... Think is well. I know for a fact is something I discussed in some past specials, and probably uh, most people familiar with the War of the Worlds event as an event, I should say, nineteen thirty-eight has seen this as well. If you haven't, it's it's on YouTube. Geez, it's posted probably about fifty times. It's easy to find. He talks about threats of lawsuits that were made against the radio station, the theater company, things that his name was directly involved in, and he also shares some firsthand accounts that he had of people's reactions that he had interacted with the days following the broadcast. Also in this section is probably my favorite addition to this book. Throughout this section, I'd say like once every, he kind of gets to a end of one particular story element to the next, there'll be two or three pages of graphics. And those graphics are made up of compilations of newspaper clippings that reported the event and some, follow-up cartoon panels i'm not sure they're all political or satirist cartoons that they i will say none of the <laughs> um titles i recognize it's a really cool addition along with this story is to see the actual words that were printed in the newspapers because we we hear about them in this story and some can be found online some people have scanned them and posted them in articles about war of the worlds but this it seems to be Probably the most comprehensive collection of those articles I I think that I have in one spot. And that's, I I think, (laughs) I did mention this book is falling apart. When the pages finally do fall, although it can lie pretty flat, I'm just looking at right now. Maybe I should scan them now before this thing completely disintegrates. Or I'm not even sure what else could happen to it at this point. So I, I think I should take the time to scan those to at least have something online for other people interested in seeing this. As kind of a one stop repository of this information, because I've never seen all I, I've never seen many of these articles, and I've certainly not seen them all in one collection like this before. And I think that's probably my favorite addition to this this not only this story but this book. Like I was just saying, even with this book just being three decades removed from the event, it actually takes or it attempts to take, I should say, a realistic look at the panic. And this story tells that as well. He Howard Koch talks about a Princeton study of why people had believed this and in that they talked about the number of people that possibly believed it now i do think the numbers are a little high in this i don't know that they're purposely inflated i think that's just the data they had at the time they estimated that 20 percent of the listening audience completely believed everything that was happening that this was a full-out martian attack and i think that's a little high but again this is talking about it with the better part of an entire century to have looked back at the history of this. So in 1970, maybe 20 felt right. So I'm not really going to say too much about, or even try to debunk this story. An interesting thing that they put in here. And I think I actually mentioned this uh, bit. I pulled this bit for my 80th anniversary celebration uh, episode was that a lot of the things that had happened that night, the newspapers were attributing to follow up from War of the Worlds, let's say someone got into a car accident, they and it happened during the broadcast. They would mention that this car accident happened while the broadcast was airing, very possibly strategically not saying they were listening to the broadcast, but certainly implying that they were listening to the broadcast. Or someone had a heart attack between eight and nine o'clock on October thirtieth, nineteen thirty-eight, the same time the broadcast aired, never mentioning what this person was listening to, if anything. That was an interesting fact that I hadn't considered in some of my past special episodes that the newspapers were taking data of horrible things happening to people during that time frame, and while maybe not directly associating them with War of the Worlds, certainly implying that they were, and in some cases, I'm sure, I don't have a citation in front of me, I'm in some cases, I'm sure they were directly implying that War of the Worlds, the broadcast, was the cause of them. That was an interesting fact out of this book, among many. The Princeton study was the last piece of this third section, or story three, however we want to look at it. And that moves us on to the fourth section, and that's called A Martian Visits the Scene of His Crime. And this is the story of Howard Koch returning to the New Jersey area at the time of writing this book, or just before it. He had the visit, of course, before he wrote the book. Let's say his visit in 1970, for sake of argument. And he did return to Grover's Mill, New Jersey, and he did talk to some of the locals that remembered the broadcast. I will save the details for anyone that wants to read them themselves. He also visited the actual mill of Grover's Mill, which I have not seen because I don't think it technically exists as a functioning mill. I have seen the building, past the building where it was, but have not gone inside and seen the namesake of Grover's Mill myself. I don't think you can't anymore. I could be wrong about that. And if I am, please someone let me know. So I can plan to do that the next time in, I'm in the Northeast. He visited Cranberry, New Jersey, which in terms of the history of this event, that was the police station and the fire station that got a majority of the recorded calls that we can still see the logs of today. Not saying they solely got it but for that area of New Jersey, the Cranberry police department and the Cranberry fire department has had, had kept a log that night of calls that were related to the broadcast or conversely happened during the broadcast, going back to that Princeton article argument that we were just talking about. And he did talk to people about specifics that were reported. I think the only one I am going to talk about that is probably common knowledge is the famous or the infamous at this point windmill that was mistaken for a tripod and was shot at by locals. That's been, I think confirmed by multiple sources I, I hate saying that when i don't have a source in front of me but this is something i've i've heard as actually having had happened and has been confirmed to have happened that this was shot at and i unfortunately the very first time i visited Grever's mill myself was two years after the remnants of the windmill it's a windmill slash water tower the entire thing was torn down two years before I got there. So I've never seen it, but I have seen pictures and I can certainly see how in a panic, if you believe there's Martians in three legged machines attacking you that through the trees in the moonlight, that this is something that <laughs> it would be shot at. I guess I could say there's more to this as well. actually, I'm looking at the notes here that I was going to share, but again, I I'm kind of using this episode to explain what is in this book to get people to check it out themselves So I don't know if I want to give those details in this episode, maybe a completely spoiler episode somewhere down the future. But there's some good stories in here of things that happened during that time frame that might not have been War of the Worlds related. But if you read these stories thinking they happened during the War of the Worlds broadcast, it makes them a little more interesting. And then this section of the book, this story ends with Howard Koch going to WHWH Radio to experience the annual airing of the War of the Worlds that they did in Princeton. And that's a pretty good tale to read as well, to read about someone writing about something that they helped be a part of at this point 30 years ago. It's pretty neat. That's not something I've got to read much in a lot of the things that I'm a fan of. So it was a a nice story to read. Or a nice uh, bit to read in this part of the story, I should say. We're still not done. We've got Section 5 now. And this one is a little drier as far as storytelling. Because it's, it's not too much storytelling. It's actually called Mars Fact and Legend. And that's, that's exactly what it is. It's details about Mars. I don't think there's any spoilers here if I tell you that... It starts off with talking about the name, where it comes from, the Roman God, of course, tells a little bit about the story of the Roman God myth as well. It goes through the different theories of what Mars was or could have been or was in the past through the 16th, 17th, and 18th centuries. talks about the Mariner 6 and 7 pictures from 1969, which is... Fun to read considering the Curiosity and Opportunity Rovers and the rover that is, I believe, headed there now or maybe it has yet to launch by this recording because we have gotten much more detail of this, the, the surface of the planet uh, since 1969. So, I, I I certainly don't laugh at it when I read it. it it's the, the information they're presenting is, is very good. I just think about, man, what if they knew what we've seen since then when I read this? And then the last section, section six, gets a little interesting. It's called The Privileged Voice. And reading that, I thought, oh, it's going to be his time with Orson Welles. It was actually his personal commentary on the power of radio and the power of public speakers. And he does talk about Orson Welles. He talks about him specifically as Dr. Pearson, the one who, if if this were a real radio reported this had actually happened dr pearson was the one who was telling us that these are invaders from mars and with that voice of authority and the, the and being a public voice that was something that people were going to believe then he went from that moving on to franklin roosevelt as president and many of his addresses and he had some interesting opinions good and bad about things that had happened during his presidency i'll leave that to the reader if you care to find out and then he concludes. Very interestingly, considering his entertainment legacy has really, I guess it started with stage, but he really obviously got known from his work with the Mercury Theater on the air and radio. He flat out says to question everything that comes over the airwaves in his conclusion. And if I had read this 20 years ago, I mean, I, I probably would have nodded and moved on. Reading it now, it's like, huh, hard to believe this was written over 50 years ago. But that is a discussion for another time with other people and probably not recorded because no matter what side of any argument you get on like this, you're always in trouble. So to give kind of a final review, I'm going to say it's absolutely a fun read. It was incredibly quick for me to read. And that is because of the big chunk of the script that I didn't read. And then I did mention that there's some pictures and newspaper articles. I guess the newspaper articles kind of... Stopped, made me stop and read those, but there are some pictures in here too. It's not a picture book. It's not loaded. I'm talking like once every 20, 25 pages or so, there might be a one page picture, but it is a very, very quick read. Like I said, in kind of going through this, I was going to say in the beginning, but through this whole thing, it does read like a set of short stories. So you can set it down after one section and walk away from it for a while and come back. And you're not really going to have to worry about getting lost in the story because the next section is going to completely start with something new, which is actually, I think a benefit to the book. There was one thing I thought that was lacking that I expected when I picked up this book and and knowing that, that Howard Koch had wrote it, there wasn't really that much detail about the process of the story adaptation like what elements from the H.G. Wells stories he had kind of lined up in a set of notes to make sure we in the radio play and build from there. He, he doesn't actually ever really talk about the writing process. He tells a story about writing in six days. He talks about the rewrites, and he talks about everything that everyone already knows, but he doesn't really add anything to that story, which was a little, I don't know if disappointing is a word, but I expected that when the author of the actual base script wrote the Uh, the follow-up book on it but it didn't happen but there was also a lot of good stuff in there that it certainly didn't detract me from finishing the book or even enjoying it i don't really know what kind of scale books get other than stars on amazon but i'm going to go a little further and double that so i'm going to go from a scale to one to ten and give this a seven and a half because it is a good read and there is some really good information But I could have used a little more, and I would have really, really liked to see more behind the scenes. There was a lot of things from his perspective before the airing and after the airing, but no real details about the process. And I would have liked to learn a little bit more about how we got to that infamous broadcast. So here's a little, what would you call it? A little hitch, a little glitch, a little something in my planned presentation of this. I was completely intending to list the Amazon link where you up until not too far before this recording, you could buy this book for like literal pennies or even a buck or two. I don't know what's happened since making these notes and recording this, but Amazon seems to have completely run out of this book. And all that's left are like pristine copies that are $20, 30 40 which I, I guess would be nice to have if you're looking for a, a an edition that's never been opened. Mine has been opened. It's a library edition, and it has got a laminated cover that's holding it together by sheer will at this point. And that's fine. That's all I need. I just needed clean pages, and I got them, and I read the book. So Amazon is not <laughs> a really economical source to find a book from 1970. So I did a little searching, and it didn't take long. I did go to eBay, like my second choice. And eBay does have a sizable amount of books offered. And they range from I'd say like I think two dollars is the least I've seen it. Up to twenty as well as um the ones still available on Amazon. But I'd say most of them fall be I would say under ten, I think seven seems to be like the cap before you make start making leaps. And I would say three dollars or two dollars to seven dollars is a fair price for this if you really want to own a copy of this. Uh, you'd Be careful of shipping, of course, with eBay. You can buy a comic book for $0.70 cents and pay $45 shipping if you're not careful. But I did take a quick glance at some of the top ones, and shipping was either free or uh, media shipping for like $0.99 because I believe you, that's completely legal to ship a book that way. I don't know. I'm not an eBay expert or shipping lawyer, but I think that's uh you know what? You're not the one shipping it, so what would you care if you're going to buy it? But I would say if you're interested after hearing this, reading that book – Go ahead and check eBay. Amazon probably will get a hold of some more in the future. But right now, as of this recording, unless they get some in the next two days when this comes out, uh, you, you got to shell out some cash for it. And might not be worth quite that much. All right. That does it for this War of the Worlds Week episode. But that doesn't do it for our War of the Worlds Week. Not by a long shot. We've got a lot of... More coming. We have some really good episodes coming with uh, who's become kind of my uh, partner across the pond in War of the Worlds with Eric from Effectively Speaking. We got two really fun War of the Worlds themed episodes coming up with that. We've got the, of course, we'll be ending with the streaming, and we've got a couple of, well, we got one adaptation to do and one inspiration to do, and a lot more. You probably heard all this already just a day or two ago on the War of the Worlds week introduction episode. But it's an event I am very excited about and wanted to make sure, if you hadn't heard that, that you know what we have coming. We also have a ton of Halloween episodes at Neazaz.com for the 2020 season. There's still more to come. We're in the final weeks of October, but that also means we've had a ton already in 2020. If you haven't heard that, check out neozaz.com or check out the feed that you're hearing this on because you're very likely going to find it there as well and if you're not look for the feed news as celebrates halloween on your favorite podcast provider and you're not only going to find all the 2020 content but you're going to find all the content we have done over all the years that we have celebrated halloween halloween is the biggest holiday celebration we do at news as collectively between all our shows we have short run mini series we have one-off episodes and we have special episodes from our regular running series every year and this year is no exception in fact this year might be a little bit beyond the average exception considering the time we've had to kind of plan for this. Alright, that is it. Last thing I have to say, of course, is thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.